do this. Let's talk about talk. Well, hello there. I'm your communication coach, Dr. Andrea Wojnicki. Please call me Andrea. Thanks for listening. Talk About Talk is where you can learn to communicate more effectively so you can advance your career and improve your relationships with everyone around you. If you go to talkabouttalk.com, you'll see the full archive of all the communication skills topics that we've covered in the podcasts and the email blogs. We're releasing podcasts bi-weekly, every second week, and email blogs every week. So you can always go to the talkabouttalk.com website and catch up on everything you've missed. Today's episode focuses on presenting with confidence. When I told several people that I had an interview with a speech coach lined up, they all asked me to focus on confidence, amongst other things. So I decided to create two episodes. The first episode, number 46, focuses on preparing and delivering a presentation. This episode, number 47, is focused more on confidence. So if you haven't listened to episode number 46 yet, I suggest you go and listen to that one first. You'll get a lot more out of it that way. At the end of this episode, I'll summarize everything that we covered in the previous episode and this episode. So you'll get one cohesive summary that covers three main things. One, how to prepare a presentation or speech. Two, how to deliver a presentation. And three, tips for how to present with confidence. Now, let me reintroduce our guest, Andrew Musselman, and then we'll get right into the interview. Andrew Musselman is an actor and communications coach who trains clients to speak with presence and to tell a compelling story. Since finding his firm Fluency, Andrew's worked with clients across a variety of sectors, including financial services, corporate law, commercial real estate, technology, startups, and not-for-profit. Andrew previously taught and coached in schools, acting studios, and on television shows for over 15 years. As an award-winning actor with an international body of work, Andrew draws on his vast performance and storytelling expertise to inform his coaching. So you said that nine out of 10 people are really concerned about their confidence. And I have to tell you that I've asked many of my friends and colleagues what to ask you about Mm -hmm. how to give a compelling presentation. And 100% of them, the first thing that they said was how to exude confidence. So actually how to feel confident but then also how to demonstrate confidence. Do you have any pointers for the listeners on that? I do. First thing that I like to say to people, you just said 100% of your listeners said, we want to talk about this. That's something that needs to be, we, we should pause and recognize that, that when people feel like I have a debilitating fear of this, I don't like getting up, and you're in very good company. <laughs> True. You know, the majority of the population does not like this. It's that old Jerry Seinfeld joke, right? That, that most people would rather be in the casket at a funeral than delivering the eulogy. Oh. So <laughs> I think that's, that's worth people remembering, that it's, this is not novel. This is, this is very common. When it comes to the confidence, again, pausing is huge because what pausing allows you to do, it allows you to breathe and center yourself. It gives you time to think about what you're, what you're going to say. You know, a lot of people, the fear of pausing is, I'm going to look like I don't know what I'm talking about. And the opposite is true. When a speaker is able to pause in front of an audience, they just, it's, they, they draw the attention right in towards them. It is True. so magnetic. The, can, the cadence just changes, uh, right? Completely. Yeah. And people go, what? <laughs> exactly. And if somebody is able to pause, you just, they, they look like they own the space. So that's a huge one. 
I also would say, you know, for those who suffer from a big fear of this practice, there's nothing that is going to improve your confidence more than practice. That is the number one thing. Just French, the word for rehearsal the, in the theater is repetition. Mm. It's re, it's a, that's I a didn't part know of that. That's You're great. rehearsing just for the sheer sake of repeating. And that is, that's something I would definitely advocate. I am a huge fan of Amy Cuddy's research on this. So if any of your listeners haven't seen Amy Cuddy's TED Talk on Yeah, I've mentioned her a few times, but they may have missed those. There you go. And her whole thing is that if you practice projecting confidence, which you can do by the way you stand, the way you speak, the way you breathe, and we can talk about specifics on that. But if you practice projecting confidence, it's going to make you feel more confident. It's going to change your psychology around all of this. The thing that I love that she says is, when speaking, we should focus less on the impression that we're making on other people and more on the impression that we're making on ourselves. And that's huge. You know, if you can get up there and her expression, fake it till you become it. You just pretend you're confident. Pretty soon you'll start feeling confident. Yeah, I and, believe that. I believe that. And I, I know from doing some research on confidence that that she's been highly criticized for that. But I I absolutely believe it because even physiologically, never mind mentally, your body is learning. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I think, I mean, I love it. I, I think it's great. I think as an actor, I mean, you, you go backstage, there's nobody, by the way, this is the other thing. There's nobody who doesn't feel nervous getting up in front of an audience. Right. I have been in shows, you know, sometimes actors perform a show 50, 80, a hundred times on that a hundredth performance before walking out on that stage, you're still nervous. And if you're not getting nervous, you should worry because A, you might be a psychopath and B, (laughs) you might not really be caring about what's going to happen. So that's a huge thing is that everybody gets nervous. But if you see actors before a show, what they are doing is they are amping their energy up. And that's another huge thing in terms of confidence, that if you can get some energy going in your body, whether it's shaking out your hands, jumping up and down, going for a walk around the block, that is going to stand you in good stead. I got asked at a 30th wedding anniversary party to deliver a a speech from Shakespeare. So I said yes. And the whole time I'm sitting at the table and I'm kind of, you know, with my husband and with a friend and another friend, and they kept turning to me, are you you okay? And what I did, I got up and I went into the bathroom and I stood in the stall and I just quietly to myself rehearsed the first few lines. Uh. I shook my hands out. I expanded my my upper body. I, I did some deep breathing. So I tell that story because you, you do what you got to do and don't ignore those nerves, but really thinking of meeting that challenge physically, which is what Amy Cuddy advocates. How are you standing? How are you breathing? And also what's the energy that's going through your body? I think that's a, a great way to combat those nerves. Well, it's like warming up before an athletic performance. I just keep thinking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That you would never walk onto a tennis court or a basketball court or something like that without stretching, without spending some time getting energized, without warming up. I interviewed an opera singer who told us about what he does to warm up his vocal cords before he goes to do a performance, right? So it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. You have to get into the zone. Yeah. And I bet you, I mean, I don't know how long an opera singer's warm-up is, but I bet you the first 25, 30% of it is breathing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we and, talked a lot about breathing. Yeah, breathing yeah. Is, is huge. So I also think that, I don't mind the word confident, but I don't like giving that advice to people, saying just get up there and be confident because it's kind of like, 
Yeah, it's like telling a drowning person to relax. You sort yeah. of go, hey, I would love to. Yeah, you know, yeah. I just don't feel like that's within my power right now. But I think when it comes to your voice, if you think of a strong, confident voice, a rich voice as opposed to a loud voice, because you don't want to just sound like you're shouting at the audience. But if you think, hey, I'm going to speak this like I mean it, that is going to be another thing that's going to just make you feel more confident and more empowered. Um, so I think that's a big, big part of handling the nerves. So, so related to confidence, can we move into body language? Uh, they're obviously related. And I know some people wonder, how should I stand? Should I stay behind the podium? Should I pick up the microphone and walk around? And what do I do with my hands? Do you have any guidance there? Yeah. So if we go back to this idea of strength and warmth, the first thing in terms of how you stand, the reality is confident people take up space. But there's an interesting thing with this strength and warmth framework that, that the researchers call the hydraulic effect, which basically means if you try to project one of those things, it's going to come at the expense of the other one. Oh, wow. So you try and really be strong, you're going to diminish your warmth. So is, people assume they're inversely correlated until you give them evidence otherwise? I think the, the great example of that, if you say to somebody, stand confidently, and they puff up their chest, and they raise their chin, and they, they tense their entire upper body, you know, you could say, well, yeah, that is confident, but there's zero warmth there. Right. So when it comes to your posture and how to stand, I think the two things to think of is, I always tell people, you imagine that you have a string that's pulling you up mm. so that you're naturally expanding. You want to think of an expansive posture rather than creating any kind of tension. And tension, it doesn't serve you as a speaker, but it also looks aggressive. So that is to be avoided. So taking up space, but in a natural, expansive kind of way. The other thing I would say to think about with your posture is your feet. Mm. Feet firmly planted, really, really firmly planted. And I don't mean that you're not allowed to move, but something you'll see a lot of times with speakers is that it's almost like they've got a little bit of a dance going on. Oh. They're shuffling back and forth. It's because that's where their nervous energy is going. It's oh, I gone yeah, in yeah. their feet. Again, thinking of our, our primal instincts, how that looks to us, it looks shifty. You think the person's being deceptive, you know? So I would say thinking of your feet nice and firmly planted. And if you are going to move, move with purpose, move with conviction. That's great advice. I've never heard that. It, I'm going to be watching for that. <laughs> you know, in I myself think and in others. Yeah. It's, the, the best thing that you can think of in terms of physical stuff, I believe, is control and purposeful. You want your gestures, you want your movement to all look like it's a choice. Would you rehearse or practice your gestures? Maybe, yes. It's a little bit tricky because the, when, sometimes when you tell people to rehearse their gestures, and I'm going to talk about a, a very common technique in a moment, when you tell people to work with these techniques, the danger is that it looks forced. Mm -hmm. But I think if you become conscious of your gestures and you become conscious of trying to be controlled and purposeful, the more you practice it, the more second nature it will become. So in terms of that age-old question of what do you do with your hands, the first answer is use them. The reason that we gesture, I mean, first of all, it makes us look animated, makes us look dynamic, but it also goes back again to these survival instincts. You're showing the listeners no tools, no weapons. Oh, that's I'm true. Empty-handed. That's true. The reason that we wave, it's the reason that we shake hands. If a speaker hides their hands, you know, if a speaker holds their hands behind their back, 
Or if you're at a boardroom table and you're speaking and your hands are under the table. Even at a dining room table, I've heard. You should actually have your hands politely on the table. I wouldn't. That, that doesn't yeah. surprise me, yeah. actually. It looks shifty. It makes people feel... What are you hiding? Yeah, it makes them feel ill at ease. Exactly. Yeah. So you want to be gestured. But the again, much like I was saying about the feet, the trouble is when the nervous energy gets into the hands and the gestures become repetitive or sort of nonsensical, when the gestures are just sort of happening and the speaker has no control over them. So a technique that I advocate, again, this is a pretty well-known technique and it's an old technique, but the, the prism where you press your fingertips together and uh, you hold your hands in, yeah. in a prism out in front of your body. It sounds ludicrous. And every time I talk to clients about this, they're like, what are you telling me to do that for? What it does though, is it gives your hands a home base. So often, if your hands are just there in front of you, it, they become disembodied and you think, I what do I do with these things? Whereas if they're there in some kind of a home base, and if you don't like the mm -hmm. prism, you can expand it and imagine you're holding a volleyball. You know, the magic volleyball is what that technique is called. If you give your hands a home base, then you don't have to worry about them. And you know that any gesture is going to be controlled and purposeful and precise. And when you've made that specific gesture, then you can return to your home base. I love it. It sounds like yoga class, right? You yeah. go back to home base. Yeah. Yeah. Tactic, that technique of a home base does with your hands. It prevents your hands from having a mind of their own. So in terms of the strength piece of it, a big part of how you can project strength to your listeners is physical control. So I am standing in an energized way with conviction. I'm gesturing precisely. And I'm expansive, as you yeah. said. I'm expansive. And when I move, so to answer your question about to stand behind the podium or not, it always, I think, looks more dynamic if you get a, that podium can create a barrier between you and your listeners. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So I think getting from behind that is a good strategy. If it's technically possible, right? Like if yeah. you can walk with a mic. Yeah. If it's technically possible and also listen, if you're somebody who is very nervous about the speech you have to give, you want your notes in front of you. And you have rehearsed a conversational style where you are going to make eye contact, you're going to pause, and you think, that's as much as I can do. Great. Stay behind the podium. Don't make it more it's difficult. baby steps. Yeah, exactly. You walk before you run. But I do think if it's technically possible and if it's personally possible, walking around the stage looks great, mm. provided that you walk with energy, you walk with purpose, and you know when you get to a different part of the stage, stand there for a bit. Stay still. Keep your feet still, grounded, centered. You're reminding me of uh, when I was working as a faculty member at the University of Toronto, especially if I was teaching in a big auditorium and I had a huge PowerPoint slide in the middle of the stage and I would kind of go from one side to the other and it actually felt really good to move my body yeah. when I was on stage yeah. instead of standing there and preaching, right? Yeah. And it goes back to that Amy Cuddy stuff, that it looks more energized, it looks more dynamic, because it is. So in, in addition to making you look more energized, it's going to make you feel more energized, yeah. make you feel more empowered. So yeah. that's a good thing. So when you were talking about uh, the person who maybe is, is lacking in confidence and they're standing behind the podium and they're kind of hugging the podium, but they have yeah. to, and they're working on things kind of one thing at a time, it reminded me of another question that I had for you with regards to PowerPoint slides. And that is, if you're in a technical presentation, I'm thinking back to your finance guy that you were consulting to, and there's a slide with data on it that they have to read. Or if, for example, it's a legal presentation and there's something that, a paragraph that the audience needs to read. Mm. How do you choreograph that? Do you read it to them? 
So I would say it depends. Depends on what it is. If it's a quote, I would say always read it. Okay. But just to take a step back, that what you want to think about with those slides, especially technical data-driven slides, you make the point first okay. and then display the visual. Mm. It's an exercise in controlling the audience's focus. Because the minute you display words on the screen, the listeners are going to stop listening to you. They're going to just be reading that. And nobody can read and listen at the same time. Right. That's what I keep hearing and reading. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would say is if you have, let's say, we'll go, go to finance for a second. If you have charts and graphs and numbers, tell us what we need to know and then display that visual and give us a moment to look at the visual when you're not speaking. And in terms of controlling the listener's focus, if you're silent in the case of presenting data, turn and look at the slide. Because if you turn and look at the slide, again, it controls focus. It tells your listeners, this is where you look now. So again, you're giving yourself that control and that agency. In terms of what to read and what not to read, I would say just use your your judgment, your intuition. If it's a big, long legal paragraph, maybe that's something that you want your listeners to read because what's the point of you reading it out loud to them? Um, I would say the longer the text, the the less likely you would want to read it. Mm, that's a good rule. That's yeah. probably a, a good yeah. thought. If you're asking your listeners to read something, turn, look at the screen, and read it You know, at your slowest natural reading pace to make sure that you're not Cutting them off. Yeah. You're giving yeah. them the time they need to read yeah. it. So I would say control the focus. Yeah, I, the I think I'm, you're reminding me now of some uh, presentations that I've witnessed where I, I guess I'm observing as an audience member, but also at a meta level because of what I do. And I see the speakers do that and they look at the screen and I say, oh, now they're trying to get us to look at the screen, but it's effective. And the best presenters are actually the ones that I can tell they're actually reading it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's extremely frustrating if a slide gets displayed and there's not enough time to read it. You know, and again, and presumably it was so important that you had to have it there, right? Of Back course. to your point from the very beginning. Yeah. If yeah. it's there, it's got to be there for a reason. So I would say, yeah, the reason to read it along with your listeners, again, it goes back to this idea of the adrenaline that's going through us when we're speaking. You've got that adrenaline going, you're not perceiving time accurately. So you want to take that step to read it, to, to just sort of ensure they've had enough time to read it and now I can move on. And to your point about breathing, I just thought of this. You can maybe move the mic away from your mouth and do some deep belly breathing while it's happening and re-energize yourself. Sure, right? sure. Yeah. yeah, it's a moment where, yeah, the pressure is off you. Um, that's like you're reminding me of film acting is like that, that anytime if there's a close-up of you, so the camera is right in your face and the pressure's on in the close-up. Anytime you're not talking, just breathe. Yeah. Be, oh. And I said, why? And they said, well, because if the other guy's talking, the camera's going to be on them. They're not going to use that shot anyway. So you kind of go, oh, right. Yeah. But I thought that was such a, an amazing performance strategy. What are those moments where I'm allowed to recover? You know? And so I think what you're saying is, is excellent. Yeah. If you're turning and reading it, just take a moment to also check in, breathe, re-energize, and recover. So the listeners don't know this, but every time Andrew speaks, I'm like, <laughs> no, yeah, that's not, right. not at all. Actually, <laughs> maybe I should have. Actually, yeah. she's doing yoga yeah. in the room while I'm talking. Yeah, yeah, I was in downward dog over there. Um, all right, before we move on to the five rapid fire questions, is there anything else you want to share with the listeners about providing a compelling message? I would say, you know, we've talked a lot about passion. We've talked about 
projecting strength and warmth and, and how to be confident when you're up there. But again, so much of this work comes to the message that you are sharing, that if you take that time to really structure a cohesive message, really give your listeners meaning and, and give them a reason that they should keep listening. I can think of an example, actually. I worked with a cannabis company. Um, they do cannabis edibles. So it was fascinating to work on as well because that industry is like the Wild West. Yeah, the, the, you know, I, know. Are, I know. So they were, this is a, a while ago now, they, they were going in for an investor pitch. And I was asked to come in and help them rehearse this pitch. And so I listened as they talked a little bit about their company. And they said, you know, they talked about how they were founded. They talked about what they were going to do with the money that they were raising, you know, the facility they wanted to build. They talked about the partners who were helping them design the edibles, you know, the, part, the food partners. And after a little while, I said, I think the problem here is we don't have a very clear main message. So I started to ask them some questions like, what are your hopes and dreams for this company? You know, beyond making $100 million, what are you really trying to achieve with this? And what are you passionate about? And all that sort of stuff. And after digging around there, they said, you know, we like to say that we're creating a product that we would feel comfortable serving to our friends after a dinner party. And I said, that's your main message. Mm -hmm. So you're telling me about your facility that you want to build. Why do you need to build that facility? Because you're creating a product for your friends. So you need to oversee all aspects of production. You're telling me about the food partners that you're using. Why are you using those brands? Because they're brands that you personally engage with, that you trust and that you love, and nothing less than that will do for your friends. Brilliant. Why do you need this scientist who controls the dosing? Because you want to be responsible because you're creating a product for your friends. So when you find that message and you take the time to connect everything to it, it just really makes it clear for your listeners, this is what I'm supposed to take away from this. And in making it clear, it makes it compelling. Right. Because as I said earlier, we, we crave meaning. So when you give your listeners that meaning, this means a product that is appropriate for our friends. As you're describing that, yeah. my head, as you can see, is nodding. And I'm imagining the investors doing the same thing around the table. And it's almost like not only do you have a focused message there or one main point at the apex of your triangle, but you're also in a way telling your story because I'm imagining you in several months sitting with your friends around the table after a dinner party and sharing this product with them. So I, I feel like you've, you've checked all the boxes there. And yeah. as I'm nodding my head, I'm imagining the investors who are the audience to that message doing the same thing. Yeah. What it comes down to in terms of the storytelling, again, it's that hero goal conflict that the hero in that situation is the company. And that might sound arrogant, but as long as your goal is to help other people. We are creating something that will really be great for yeah, other people. Yeah, as long as the goal isn't friends. self-serving, right? Yeah, once you have that hero with the goal and all of the struggles, and again, struggles don't need to be, oh, and then we went bankrupt. The struggles are, how can we oversee production? How can we make sure that the dosage is correct? How can we make these taste excellent? When we feel those struggles, that creates suspense. And again, that hero goal struggle framework, it gives us a reason to care. We just think, ah, yeah. And that's what that meaning does. It, it, it causes us to lean in. It causes us to feel mm. emotionally invested in the message. That's a great example. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. Okay. We're going to move on to the five rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I am. Okay. First question. What are your pet peeves? Bad listening. I hate when people interrupt, when they lose focus as you're talking. And I don't mean the occasional interjections. I mean like they steamroll over what you're saying with a completely different point. That's a huge pet peeve of mine. I don't like that. Second question. 
What type of learner are you? Are you visual, auditory, kinesthetic, or some other kind of learner? Definitely auditory. I, when I have a, a problem or, or even just when I'm thinking, I, I can't tell you the number of times that I get busted by people in public talking to myself. Really? All the time. It's the way that I sort through my ideas. I just oh. talk as though I'm having a conversation. I just speak to myself. And sometimes I've been moving my mouth and people kind of go, are you? And I say, yeah, I'm just thinking. You should just keep earbuds in your ears all the time. <laughs> and then right. someone will think that you're in a, con- in a phone, phone conversation. That's funny. And and part of the problem, too, with being an auditory learner and doing what I do, sometimes I have a tendency to say too much because it's I want to make sure that I have created all of the logical links in my idea. And sometimes the listeners don't need that. So I sometimes have that struggle where people go, yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. I have some advice for you. Yeah, please. You should start a podcast. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> that's funny. Okay. Well, I think that's funny. It is funny. Good it job, is. Andrea. Uh, question number three, introvert or extrovert? Both. And more as I get older, more and more introvert. And I think, that, you know, there's a lot of people who wouldn't believe that about me. Yeah. I think, I think you realize that as you, you know, Put a few years onto your to your CV, you realize that being having both is healthy. But I definitely sometimes need to be on my own to to regroup and, and gather my energy. And and when I'm doing something like this podcast, or if I'm being interviewed, or if I'm leading a workshop, or I'm giving a presentation, I really have to focus on working my energy up, and not in a way that's like where it's like drudgery. I mean, I love having the, the energy of performance. But if I don't work the energy up that way, I can tilt into self-consciousness. Really? Yeah. People sometimes find a, find that hard to believe, but but I have that mix of introvert and extrovert for sure. Huh. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, because you're such an extrovert and you're so energized that you then feel like you don't need to act that way. But maybe you just really are right in the middle. You're an ambivert, which by the way, most of us are. I ask the question as an either or more to be compelling. An ambervert? I've never heard that. That's interesting. Yeah. Most Very people cool. are right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. Question number four, communication preference for personal conversations. What's your go-to communication medium? Texting. Actually, I lo- I enjoy texting. And for a couple of different reasons, it's very efficient. I also find it really fun. And maybe I shouldn't admit this as a communications coach, but I find emojis hilariously fun. Me too. You can be dramatic. You can, you can be irreverent. So I, 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 I like texting. I also like face-to-face. But. Do you use Bitmoji? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And memes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Memes are memes are newish for me. About the last six months. It's a little bit addictive. Isn't oh, it? yeah. Bitmojis. I'm all over. I love it. Question number five. Is there a podcast, a blog, or an email newsletter that you find yourself recommending the most lately? Yes. Uh, it's called Ask Rana. And it is a very, very funny, funny podcast. Uh, it's two people, Rana Glickman and Brian Safi. As they would tell their listeners, they're experts on nothing. They're just very, uh, they, they have no uh, credentials, but they're just uh, smart, fun people. And people write in and they give advice. And I find their advice is, it goes from being funny to being very poignant and very sympathetic, which I, I think is a fascinating mm. blend. So that that's a podcast that I'm a big fan of. Right I now. actually have heard of it. I think I may have seen it on iTunes as a recommended one. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing your expertise and your time to tell us about how to create a compelling presentation. I can tell you, I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners did as well. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Thanks again to Andrew Musselman for generously sharing his expertise and his advice with us.
As promised, I'm now going to summarize everything that we covered in this episode, as well as the last episode, number 46, which featured the first half of my conversation with Andrew Musselman. By the way, you can access a printable two-page summary of all of this in the show notes on the talkabouttalk.com website under the podcast tab. So you can listen now and then access the notes later. I divided the learnings into three main categories here. First, preparing the presentation, then delivering the presentation, and last, specific tips for presenting with confidence. So let's start with preparing the presentation. Do you remember what the number one most important thing to consider is when you're creating your presentation? It's your one key message. Your supporting points should all reference back to this message. Think cohesiveness. When you're preparing your presentation, Andrew suggests grabbing a pen and a paper and writing your message out first, then writing out your supporting points. And he says that this seems to work much better than creating your presentation slide by slide. He also suggests that we do not start with a topic sentence. Instead, tell the audience at the very beginning what their key takeaway will be. Again, this is your key message. It's not a topic sentence, though. It's what your audience will learn. Basically, you need to let your audience know that you will do the work for them. Okay, so you have your one key message, you've identified your key takeaway, and you have an outline of supporting points that flow directly from the key message. Next, a few things to consider as you're creating the slides. First, obviously, each slide should fit with the main message. And we need to be ruthless when it comes to editing out slides. If you're ever wondering if you should cut something, then cut it. When it comes to designing each individual slide, remember, less is more. The fewer words and details, the better. The slides are supporting you, not the other way around. I also asked Andrew about adding stories or humor or multimedia elements such as audio or video clips to your presentation. Andrew advises us not to add these things for the sake of pizzazz. This goes back to the main message and the cohesiveness point. It all needs to reinforce your key message. It needs to be organic. Again, you, the speaker, are the primary vehicle for the information. The slides and other media are there to back you up. That said, multimedia elements can reinforce the key message and lead to increased comprehension and retention. So if there's a video or audio clip that reinforces your main message, then by all means, add it. By the way, I added a link to the video that Andrew himself plays in some of his speeches. You know, the one with the U.S. politician's election speech. I watched it, and it is funny, but also a bit tragic. After you watch it, let me know what you think. But don't feel too sorry for the guy. He managed to get some impressive PR from that speech. But I digress. Okay, moving on. When it comes to humor, Andrew says, Stay in your lane. Your job is to share information and a message. You're not there simply to entertain the audience. However, you should trust yourself. If there's something that you really find funny, chances are other people are going to find it funny as well. On storytelling, Andrew says, and I quote, If you have a point that you're going to make and you can illustrate that with a story, then I think, go for it. Go for it 10 times out of 10. It's always going to be more effective telling a story rather than just giving information. There's an old saying, connect first, then convince. And that is what stories do. Andrew also mentioned that when it comes to storytelling, we all love the hero's journey. Hero, goal, conflict. It provides meaning, a reason to care. One last thing as you're creating your presentation. Keep it grounded in authenticity and passion. 
got it? Authenticity and passion. If you truly care about the key message, so will your audience. Okay, moving on to the second category of learnings, delivering the presentation. Before you go out on stage, you need to warm yourself up, just like an athlete does. This will look different for different people. You can experiment to come up with your own rituals. It could be shaking out your hands, jumping up and down, going for a walk. Personally, I like to do stretches. Think about meeting that challenge physically. Then, remind yourself that you are in control. Your job is to communicate the main message, then reinforce it with your supporting points, and then tell the audience what the main point is of each slide. And when it comes to slides, I asked Andrew what to do when the audience actually has to read something. Andrew had some great pointers here. First, remember that they can't read and listen to you at the same time. It's one or the other. So if it's short, you can probably read it to them. But if it's longer, you need to ask them to read it themselves. This means you explicitly ask them to read it, then you turn around to face the slide and you read it slowly to yourself at the same time. And take your time and breathe. Then there's thinking about what your body is doing when you're on stage. The main point here when it comes to your body and your body language is that any gesture is going to be controlled and purposeful and precise. So be expansive. Take up lots of space. Not puffing up your chest, but rather standing up tall. And it's okay to stay behind the podium if you're too nervous to move, but generally, movement is good. It's more interesting, and it gives you a chance to dispel some nervous energy. Your feet, though, should be firmly planted. Don't be shifty. And again, move with purpose. When it comes to your hands, Andrew says, use them, make gestures. And don't forget to keep your hands visible. By the way, did you see Andrew Musselman's bio photo in the show notes? I'm going to guess that it's no mistake that his hands are in his headshot. That way, we all know he's not hiding anything from us. That's a great thing to keep in mind. Never hide your hands. And another point when it comes to hands, remember that home base for hands is the steeple or prism position. If you aren't sure what to do with your hands, hold them in front of your body in the steeple position. Moving on then, there are two different frameworks that Andrew highlighted to think about when we're on stage. There's the strength and warmth framework and the four P's framework. In the book, Compelling People, the authors identify how a combination of strength and warmth is ideal in terms of influencing people and gaining trust and admiration. That sounds good, right? In other words, we unconsciously evaluate everyone we meet on these two dimensions. So the first is strength, as in the root of respect. As in, are you beneficial to me? Can you help me? Can you defend me? Are you strong? And the second dimension, warmth, is the root of affection, as in comforting me and being on my side. So when we're on stage, we want to project both strength and warmth. I love that point. I also love the four Ps framework that Andrew shared. He said he learned this in his acting days. Four ways to add nuance or variation to your delivery that will help you keep the audience's attention. Do you remember what the four P's are? There's pitch, pace, posture, and projection. So pitch means high and low register. Pace means fast and slow speed. Posture means moving your body, but with purpose. And projection, pause and think on the inhale, project your voice on the exhale. Now, the last category of learnings from these two episodes is the one that people perceive as their biggest challenge, presenting with confidence. 
question for you. Do you get nervous before you go on stage? Well, you're in very good company. Most people get nervous. And in fact, there's an argument that we should be nervous. That nervous energy you feel can enhance your performance. The number one thing that helps? Practice and repetition. Rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. Yes, practice makes perfect. One tactical thing to keep in mind when we're feeling nervous is that it's really common to talk too fast when we're not feeling confident. We need to pause. When we talk too fast, we sound nervous. And it turns out that there are several benefits of slowing down and pausing. Pausing gives us an opportunity to breathe deeply. As Andrew says, anytime you're not talking, breathe. Say when you're asking the audience to read something on a slide, you can turn around, read it to yourself too, and breathe. Pausing also gives us the opportunity to think. And importantly, pausing gets the audience's attention. A shift in cadence, a small disruption in the rhythm of what you're saying, can make people sit up and focus. Last, when it comes to confidence, Andrew highlighted Harvard professor Amy Cuddy's work. I'll leave a link to her TED Talk in the show notes for you. Dr. Cuddy's advice is that if you practice projecting confidence, it's going to make you feel more confident. We should focus less on the impression we're making to other people and more on the impression that we're making on ourselves. As Dr. Cuddy says, don't fake it till you make it. Fake it till you become it. I was thinking, related to that point, have you ever heard that smiling releases endorphins? Think about it. Your body is so used to smiling when you're happy that you can actually make yourself feel happier in terms of your biochemistry simply by smiling. So the next time you're feeling down, fake a smile. Try it. Let me know if it works. It really can't hurt, right? All right. That's it. If you enjoyed this episode and you learned something, I have two small asks. First, please tell your friends. You can send them an email or post it on social media, or yes, even tell them in real life. I would really, really appreciate it. And thank you. And secondly, if you're not signed up already, please sign up for the Talk About Talk email blog, where you'll get free weekly communication coaching from me delivered directly to your email inbox. Just go to talkabouttalk.com or you can email me directly and I'll add you to the list. I'd also love to hear what you think about this episode, ideas you have for future topics or anything else. You can email me anytime at andrea at talkabouttalk.com. Thanks for listening and talk soon. Thank you.